kids program. It's called uh, Kingdom Kids, and if you're four years old through fourth grade, you can be dismissed at this time. And by the way, uh, Kirsten and I, who was the courageous one who held up the bag for me, we did the bags last year, as I said, in a very courageous way, sneaking around the neighborhood at night, putting them on people's doors. <laughs> but it, we were rewarded because uh, that private rocket company, whatever it's called, launched a, uh, a, a thing that night. And we saw it up in the sky. And it was like this two-part thing. And a thing went this way. A thing went that And it was like, what's going on? We're here about Jesus. And look at the star in the sky. <laughs> so, it was, you know, it had a benefit. It was really cool. What's the name of that company? I don't know. SpaceX, yeah. They do launches, and you can see them in the sky from here. Anyway, that being said, let's pray to transition to the time of the Word. Father, thank you for this opportunity. We praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. You are our creator. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not here by accident. And at the same time, we have a deep need for you to cleanse us and to move us to yourself. And we ask in this this powerful way that you reach into our hearts and move each of us closer uh, to you, O Lord, to live for you. And I do repeat again uh, Nelson's prayer for our dear Doreen support her in this time of, of grief and Elizabeth, Daryl's wife, and but particularly as Daryl is just, just holding on to a, a, just a shadow of life right now, even in his heart, Lord, having turned to you, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, Charlie and I, Charlie's a big, was a big George H.W. Bush fan, and so watching everything about uh, what's been going on this past week. And we, so we watched his big funeral at the National Cathedral and then, then later on the family one at the uh, Episcopal Church in Houston. Uh, I'm, I don't know if any of you got to see those things, but uh, it was a great testimony. It really was. It was beautiful on, on you know CNN. It's probably the best stuff they've had on CNN in a long time uh, because the gospel was clearly read and it was presented in a in a faith context, uh, it was so beautiful. And the, I thought the pastor, uh, it turns out George Bush was very faithful in his church for about 50 years in Houston, and uh, he was friends with the pastor, uh, Russ Russell, and Russell was at his bedside when when he died, and so uh, it was a, it was a really beautiful thing. I thank God for it. It's good to hear the words of the good news, the gospel declared. And so we read the gospel today in Mark. As you can see, we're up to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. And Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T. In the flow of the book, this is the first time we have this name mentioned, um, this title, I should say. It is the second time because if you look at the very first verse of the book, you see it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So that's his introduction. But now when we come to verse 29 of chapter 8, it's the first time. Uh, it's, and it's seven times in this book only. It's pretty amazing. You know, I'd like to think it's probably not an accident that Mark uh, put it in seven times. Seven's a wonderful number for God. It's a number of completion, the days of creation. The seventh day he rested. In fact, I'm you know, totally speculating. It might be an accident. But, but uh, I'm thinking he put it in six times and said, oh, i got to put it in once more. I know, I'll put it in the introduction. <laughs> so pure speculation. You can check it out when you meet him in, in heaven. But it, literarily, this is huge. It's significant. He's kind of saving, savoring this moment. This text to bring out this massive word, Christ. And so that is what we're going to look at today. Let me uh, read the brief passage then. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is the word of God. And before we get into the uh, text of the day, this word Christ, I just want to make this observation. And it, you, if you've been reading along with us, what has been the educational style of Jesus in this book? You know, wh- where exactly is the classroom? Where did he set the, the schedule? Where do they meet? You know, what, what's the syllabi? syllabi? Uh, there's none of that. <laughs> His educational philosophy is, come on, guys, we're going. How many times have they crossed the Lake of Galilee? I'm serious. They've been back and forth and back and forth. Once they went forth and back. Uh, and in the process, as life flows on, he says, on the way, he asks his disciples. And it's it's not to diminish traditional, perhaps Greek style or whatever style of education we tend to be married to in the United States of America. Now, for example, there's a concept of kids have to be in school. They have to have a certain amount of hours of education. You know, like 200 years ago, no one would have even heard of that. That, that's a new concept, okay? Uh, and in, certainly in Jesus' day, they didn't go to school. You know, all the kids are going, yes, that's why we let them out. We don't want them to know things. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, because what is the process of Jesus' uh, education? Um, I think education can happen in, in the classroom, and I, I was formerly educated, and I'm a big fan, for example, of seminaries. You, can, you need to 
you need to go to seminary and study hard and get a master's degree so you can get up to the level of a Galilean fisherman who has no education. <laughs> you know, you got to get those languages, you got to learn something about the culture, and then, okay, now you can start really uh, understanding things. But if you look with me at, and it's some of you are going to guess, I know he's going there because this is a, a fantastic text of Scripture. Uh, look, just, we're, we're asking the question, what's the educational model here? It's a Deuteronomy 6 educational model. And it is uh, verse 4 and following, uh, great, there's the great Shema, uh, Shema, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and that is Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, who is one, Akkad. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, I just love the logic saying there's only one ultimate reality. It is Yahweh. So you should love him. He's the one worthy of all of our attention. He's the one worthy of being completely caught up into. You can't be obsessed with God. Meaning in the sense of like overboard, too much attention. He's worthy of, of worship. It's a simple observation, but you know why we came here today? To worship God. To bow down and say, he's amazing. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Psalm 139 leads us. We're we're fearfully and wonderful. We're made. We're creatures. You're created by God. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Quite a, a summary there. Uh, your heart, your, your emotions. You should be emotionally in love with God. Uh, and then with all your soul. That's just a saying everything you are as a person. You are in love with Yahweh, your God. And then with all your might, serving Him. Even willing to shake out a plastic bag and hang it on somebody's door. But no, really, it's just really all of our life is to be lived for God Himself. See now, look at uh, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Does that characterize you? Does that characterize your family? That the word of the Lord is on your heart. We should be speaking about the word of God. We should be talking about the word of God. We should be reading the word of God. And see verse 7 now. You shall teach them diligently to your children and make little classrooms for them to sit in a certain amount of hours per day and have a bell ring so they know when to walk out of the classroom. (laughs) Am I the only one here today? I'm sorry. Isn't that mildly amusing to you? (laughs) Please, give me a little bit here. (laughs) It's mildly amusing. No, that's not what it says. Um, what I'm trying to say is to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be completely involved with this thing. You know, and you don't like think of terms of, okay, school's over, now we're, we're at home and we do something else. No, you teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Oh, we can't do that. The TV's on. Okay, we won't do that. <laughs> oh, maybe you could turn off the TV. That's heresy. 
when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. This is what Jesus is showing us. He doesn't have a classroom. Every once in a while he sits on a hillside and a big crowd arrives, you know. Three days he did that and taught them and healed lots of folks. He does sit down occasionally, but he doesn't see the commute across the lake back and forth as a waste of time. I talked to the guy, a friend of mine yesterday, who has a buddy who did uh, 20 years in San Quentin. That's like the, the, the horrible prison in California. If you go over the Richmond San Rafael Bridge, go over, go heading north, look to your left, and that's where San Quentin is. scary place. I, I know somebody that was there too. But the, here's the cool thing. The guy said 15 years of that was spent in deep Bible study and theological study for this guy. And he came out loving the Lord Jesus Christ, serving him. He's now a, a preacher and a missionary and he, he knows the word, he loves the word. Not a waste of time. You know? San Quentin Theological Seminary. <laughs> in Greek, it's meganoita, but may it never be. <laughs> you know, may, I don't want to go there. <laughs> but if I am there, Lord, please give me the sense to use that time wisely. And Jesus is leading us by example here. Uh, teach them diligently to your children. Uh, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the educational model here is saying that our faith should be our life. And our life also can be a pilgrim life. Our faith can actually turn us into pilgrims. Jesus is a pilgrim. He has no, like, his goal wasn't to build a shed and stay there and just sit in a chair, was it? Jesus, you know, I don't think Jesus taught retirement. You know? So it's, it's good to be reminded that this is my temporary home. Wherever you live, no matter how small or big, it's a temporary home. And we are pilgrims, uh, and we should be using our time for the Lord. Okay, now let's look at the next part of our text, back into Mark chapter 8. It says, what, what did he talk to them about? He asked them, well, who do people say that I am? And so he's letting them uh, voice the opinions of the crowd, various opinions that are going on. The significant thing, I think, about this text and I think, honestly, if you think a little bit about it, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time presenting the other opinions and explaining the other opinions, or even necessarily specifically attacking the other opinions. Uh, really, the Bible comes at uh, truth knowledge by presenting the truth. And we're to, we're to know the truth so well that we can see what is counterfeit what is what is off. Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't show them why none of these things are true. 
he just puts it out there. It's been well said that the best way to under, uh, know a counterfeit bill is to know the, the authentic bill really, really well. You know, to be immersed in it, to understand all the parts of it. You can see right off, wait a minute, this says currency.com. <laughs> that's not a real bill. Uh, and, and that's really, uh, I, as I think through the word of God, the, what you find is the, the truth is asserted, it's presented, it's explained very, very well. And how cool is that? Because how many errors are there going to be? There's hundreds of errors along the way. And if we waited for them to list out all the errors, uh, <laughs> we, we wouldn't ever have an end to it. But when you present the truth, this is the truth, you should be immersed in it, you should talk about it all the time, you should love it, you should know God and love Him more and more and more and be called into knowing Him. Then, you, when you know the truth, you can see the counterfeits. You can see the deviations from the truth. Okay. Now, in our remaining time together, I do want to look at the main point of this passage. And this is what happens next. And he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. The Christ. Let's look at this word a, a little bit. It, 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 in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, most of you would know, this is the word Messiah. Messiah. Christ and Messiah are one is, Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. They both mean the same thing. It means to, to anoint. To anoint. And the Messiah is a huge person in the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament is just filled with references to this coming one, this chosen, anointed one who will be the Savior. It's always the, sometimes it's a whisper, sometimes it's a hint, sometimes it's a full voice, sometimes it's a shout. But help is on the way. God will send a Savior. God has Plan, and he's anointed one to be that Savior. In fact, in my study of this, I found a, a good article by uh, an American theologian named Walter Kaiser. He titled the article, Jesus in the Old Testament. And he, he had done some research about another great uh, theologian who's named Alfred Edersheim. He lived uh, from 1825 to 1889. He wrote a, a great two-volume commentary of about Jesus called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Uh, he, was a, he was a converted Jewish man himself who came to Christ as Messiah. And as you can see what I said about this is This is what Edersheim said. Pre-Christian era rabbis, these are just uh, Jewish scholars, essentially, listed 456 separate Tanakh or Old Testament, passages referring to Messiah or to Messianic times. 456 references, either to the Messiah himself or to the Messianic era to come, 
are found in the Old Testament according to Hebrew scholars in a pre-Christian era. It is huge, the Messiah. So let's look at a sum of that. That's what I want to do for the remainder of our time, is look at some of these references. And the very first reference, honestly, in Latin, it's called the Provum Evangelicum. You can, you can quote me on that. It's in uh, Genesis, excuse me, uh, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. It's a part of the curse, particularly on the, the serpent. Uh, the curse occurred when man sinned. Adam and Eve sinned because they were told not to eat of a certain fruit in the garden, and they went ahead and ate. And because of that, God cursed them and cursed the earth. The whole system is purposefully broken by God, uh, and it pushes us towards a yearning for him to fix it. Honestly, this is huge. I use that word a lot because this is huge. <laughs> this is like the key to understand all, all of life and time. What's wrong? It's cursed. It's broken. It needs to be fixed. That's why people get sick. That's why babies starve uh, due to uh, lack of, of proper nutrition. Uh, it's, it, the earth is crying out for a savior. Uh, so let's just read a little bit there. Let's read Genesis 3.14. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now that sounds a little obscure, and as I said, sometimes it's a whisper, but the whisper is actually very clear. And you understand, this is, this is the virgin birth. This is Mary giving birth to Jesus and her offspring, the woman's offspring, who ordinarily in Hebrew you wouldn't talk about as woman's offspring. It's, it's the offspring of the man, the seed of the, the husband. But in this case, it's the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. And he, it's a, a, a little boy, You'll know his name Jesus in uh, a, a while from when this was uttered. He was, he's going to bruise the head of the serpent Satan himself. He's, he's going to crush the head. Yet at the same time, this one will be hurt. His, his heel will be bruised as well in the process. Again, not, not fully clear. But if you look at it through the light of the future, you can see Christ's heel, the Messiah. Not all is lost. Uh, you've won, O serpent. There's been massive detriment and damage due to your temptation, and yet you haven't won. That woman whom you fooled, she is going to have a child who's going to crush your head. Help is on the way. God has a plan, and he will work his plan. 
it's, it's a bunch of times in Genesis. I'm not actually choosing them all. But let's look uh, at Genesis again. Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. Genesis 12. This is the first big presentation of what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Actually, let me read verse 1. It says, Now the Lord, or again in Hebrew, that would be Yahweh. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. He's creating a pilgrim here. Uh, You're going to be wandering to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's this promise in there that Abraham is going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. He's a blessing to us. We're worshiping the son of Abraham, Jesus the Christ today. Now look with me now to Numbers 24. It's been a very long time since I quoted from Numbers. Shame on me. Now this is <laughs> this is an absolutely cool maybe shame on me for not preaching this. Uh, but Numbers 24, we're in the middle of this whole Balaam interaction. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, and Particularly, we're going to pick on verses 15 through 19, Balaam's first oracle, his first revelation. And it says this, And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Shep. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seer also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. Okay, it sounds kind of dark, but this is a presentation of a coming conqueror. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. He will crush the nations. The Bible says he's going to rule them with a rod of iron and the sword of judgment will come out of his mouth when he returns. He's not coming on a borrowed donkey when he comes again. The Bible says he's coming on a white stallion, steed to conquer and bring justice and judgment into the earth. This is the coming one. And Peter says, you are the Messiah. All of this context is floating around in the air. Uh, let's look at uh, one more. Or actually, I have two or three more. Deuteronomy, please, now. Deuteronomy ch- chapter 18. 
very much. Again, 15. That's, quite, that's a weird coincidence. Genesis 3:15, Numbers 24:15, and Deuteronomy 18:15. Totally coincidental. Sorry, I brought it up, <laughs> but kind of interesting. Deuteronomy 18:15 uh, says, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me." Talking to Moses here, like me. From among you, Jesus is a son of the Jews, and he's a Jewish man, and he's going to be raised up to be like Moses and better. He's going to be a prophet, so he's a conqueror, he's a king, and here he's a prophet. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So there's a bit of context there. But there's this wonderful prophecy that Jesus is the, the word of God. He's the prophet of God coming to speak the truth. And if you ignore Jesus, you're ignoring the word of God, and you will have to give account for that action. Let's look uh, at, turn with me to 1 Samuel 2.10. 1 Samuel 2.10. There's a lot about anointing in 1 Samuel uh, and, and 2 Samuel. Samuel anoints the king. It's the same word. To anoint means the same word Messiah. But if you look at Samuel, 1 Samuel, excuse me, 2.10, I'm giving you lots of time to look there. 2.10 says this. Um, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That's the word Messiah. So this one who the Bible declares who, who was and is and is to come is this Messiah, the Christ, and he's coming in power and strength. He is coming again to be the judge. We really should be ready for him. 
I want to refer to one more passage. Oh, no, I've got two more. Thank you, Pastor Steve. <laughs> I don't want to be a liar. Two more. Uh, one of my favorites is Zechariah chapter 6. Um, Zechariah, I preached through Zechariah a while back. And it's right toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's in what's called the Minor Prophets. Uh, let's see, it's after Jonah. Jo- Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Hazael, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's the second to the end of the book of the, o- the Tanakh, the Old Testament. But you can look with me in Zechariah and chapter 6. Chapter 6, this is a kind of a weird little vision prophecy, uh, but we're just going to get to the heart of the matter. Verses 9 and following. This is another great example of the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Again, verse 9 of chapter 6 of Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles. Now, these are guys that came back from Babylon wealth. They had uh, some really fine jewelry and gold and stuff. Take from the exiles Heldai, let's see, Tobiah and Jediah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, it's kind of a pregnant idea there, because what is Joshua? What's that name? Whose name is Joshua? Jesus. You're a good crowd. You know this. Yahshua is uh, Jesus. He is Yahshua, Joshua. And it's it's he, he will save his people from what? Their sins. And the name Joshua is from the Hebrew verb to save. It's right in there. It's the root of, he's the savior. His name is Yahshua, and he will save his people from their sins. So like I said, it's an interesting uh, uh, reality here that you're going to set this crown that you've just made out of Babylonian gold and silver. All the nations will crown him. Uh, you know what they thought was their own wealth is going to become the wealth of the Messiah, and you're going to crown Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, which of course means Yahweh is righteous. By the way, um, the high priest. So Joshua is the high priest. You're going to crown the priest. Now, you know, let's put on the brakes here for a second. Wait a minute, you just violated an American ideal, the separation of church and state. Yes, we have. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, the Messiah, there's no separation. He's the priest and he's the king. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. And we long for somebody who can handle that kind of power. Huh? Only one could do it. The perfect Son of God, Son of Man. And so set it on the head of Yahshua, the high priest, and say to him, Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of all capability, 
the Lord of hosts. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out of his place and he shall build the temple of Yahweh. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the walls of San Quentin will not keep out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, even in Washington, D.C., in a cathedral of, of, questionable, <laughs> of questionable stance, the gospel is proclaimed on CNN. Hallelujah. <laughs> the Lord knows what he's doing. Lord, help us to hear your word. So it says, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He's going to be a builder, this one who's the branch, who has this Babylonian silver crown forged and placed on his head. He's the king. He's the one, the little green cry of life coming out of the crack in the si sidewalk, uh, coming off of a stump that's been cut down for years. There's no hope. He's the one who, who was. As well. And he shall branch out of his place and he shall build the temple of Yahweh. It is he who shall build the temple of Yahweh. And he shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be Prince of Peace, he alone. We light the candle of peace today. He's, he's the coming one to put it all together. The Hebrew word for peace, we know, is shalom. And it means wholeness. Somehow this crazy world that cracks and seems, that seems absurd and random, so much so that good, the, some of the best human minds can stand up and say there is no evidence for God. They can say there is no God because it seems so random, so condemned, so broken. Jesus is going to put it all back together. The Rubik's Cube of reality, of the space-time continuum that he created will one day be all put together and, and we will say glory, glory to God in the highest. It's beautiful. That's what Peter says. You, you're the Messiah. You're the one we're waiting for. You're the one to make sense of this whole blasted thing. Praise you, Lord. So the council of peace will be between them both. And then verse 14, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tob Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the if clause there is kind of scary. 
you can individually miss out on all of this. You can individually miss out by not believing, by not obeying. So really, this text closes with the best question. Who do you think that Jesus Christ is? Who do you think he is? Father, in your grace and through your spirit, help us to 